where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. When we look at these two stories side by side, one of the things I love about the first story is how clearly it articulates an escalation. You might recall the rich man at first just said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. I mean, he knows who Abraham is. He knows who Lazarus is. And he's asking for mercy. And in asking, he thinks that Lazarus should be in service to him still somehow. And Father Abraham is like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. Because not only is it true that you've had the good things in life and Lazarus has not, but there's a great chasm that divides us. And from where we are, we can't get to where you are. And from where you are, you can't get to where we are. So, sorry, no. And then he says, all right, I beg you, send him then to my father's house. Send Lazarus to my father's house so that my five brothers can be warned. And he says, yeah, no, I'm not going to send Lazarus. I mean, you've got Moses and the prophets. They've got Moses and the prophets. You had Moses and the prophets. They do. I mean, you can just sense that Abraham's like, wow, he's really not getting this. And it's true, he's not, because then he persists and he says, no, Father Abraham, no. You don't know what you're talking about is sort of where he's coming from. He's saying, I know my family. Someone has to go to them from the dead from the dead for them to repent. And Abraham holds it. He holds the line and he says, look, if they're not listening to the prophets and Moses, who was the premier prophet in those days, they're not going to listen to someone who's raised from the dead. It's interesting probably that on both sides they didn't think each other were getting it. But there's a, there's a key point where he says, you know, listen to them, listen to the prophets, listen to Moses. In other words, believe them. You have to believe these words. You can speak with my tongue that I am Father Abraham, but you are ignoring what I'm saying with your ears and your actions. And let me be clear that belief is not a head thing. It's a heart thing. The word credo is I believe, I give my heart to. In other words, trust it and live it. Our credo is what we trust, what we believe, and what we live. So what teachings have you given your heart to? In the other story, we don't know what Zacchaeus had heard, but we know that he wanted to see Jesus so strongly that he ran and climbed a tree in the presence of other people, many other people, so many others that he couldn't see. This was a very public happening. 
And when Jesus saw him and told him to come down, Zacchaeus was happy to receive him. In the first story, back to the first story again, we're holding them up side by side. The rich man said, you know, if you send someone from the dead, then my brothers will repent. And that word repent comes up a lot in Lent. And that's the one that I'm using for recalculate. Because repent means to turn, but sometimes, you know, we're just a little bit off course. I know that you have seen this with your GPS in your cars or on your phone. Turns out it really matters what address you put in. You can be off by one number and you're gonna end up in a different place. Or you could put avenue instead of street or drive and you'll be in a different place. The address matters. I wonder how many moments of recalculating the rich person let pass by. I mean, how long did it take you to learn that you have to really listen to your GPS? I mean, check to make sure you have the right address, but you have to listen to it. Just trust it. It knows the traffic. It, it knows way more than we could know or process when it comes to traversing roads. So I wonder how many moments of recalculating this rich, rich person let pass by. How many moments were his belief that others existed to serve him were challenged. Is this the first time that someone said no to him? When Father Abraham said, yeah, it's not going to happen that way. I wonder how many moments occurred where he was preserving his self-image and his superiority in such a way that required that others were objectified or harmed or even killed. We've seen in our lifetimes to what extent people go to when power and authority feels threatened. I wonder how many moments where poor theology was espoused and reinforced with the promise of a reward after death for those who were enslaved and exploited and criminalized. And let me just say again that there's poor theology in this. Poor theology and how it has been used. It's a very interesting story. And it's a worthy story that can tell us that if we put in the wrong address and don't pay attention to the signs along the way, we may not end up where we want to be or where we think we're heading. But when a story like this is used to justify enslavement and exploitation with a promise of a reward that follows, we need to just reject it outright. When escalation is not supported, when the attempts to move an agenda forward are not supported, the faithful response is to pay attention. Something's not right here. Because we too can get escalated, right? No, this is the way it is. This is how it should be. Why are you doing this? Why are you fighting me on this? There could very well be a matter of a heart, of the heart that's in question. And so in Zacchaeus, we see a person who recalibrated 
and recalculated right on the spot. I mean, he knows numbers. He's a tax guy. He understands his wealth. He knows how he got there. And he said, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor and repay any breach four times what was taken by fraud. And what does Jesus say? Today salvation has come to this house. And there's another part that comes where he says, he too is a son of Abraham. So I hope you're thinking like, wow, Abraham's like all over these stories. He's with Lazarus, and now Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham. So let's remember that in the story of Scripture, Abraham, who was Abram, married to Sarai, who became Abraham, married to Sarah. Now you know why I know the story so well. In this story of Scripture, Abraham is the first patriarch. And significant in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. The Abrahamic traditions, they're known as. And the word Abraham means father of multitude or friend of God. And I really like friend of God. In Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, leave your country, your land, your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. So Abraham, with Sarah, is asked to depart. And this place of departure is where God really comes alive in their lives and leads them to a place that they have not been before. In 12-step programs, they talk about this as changing people, places, and things. David Brooks, who was recently um, a speaker in the CU Leadership Speaker Series, suggested to students and anyone who was listening, go live someplace else for a year. Just go do that. It'll really change your life. It'll change your perspective. And so it's fitting that this departure is a part of our faith story. Along with Abraham is also Moses. So let me just say, when we think of Abraham now, let's just think of people who are aligned with Abraham in Scripture are considered friends of God. Moses, who also comes up, is a prophet in Judaism, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and the Baha'i religion. When you think of Moses, perhaps the burning bush comes to mind. Perhaps the Ten Commandments. Keep in mind also that Moses had a very humble beginning. He was born at a time when uh, there was persecution against all baby boys. The Pharaoh at the time ordered them to be killed. And his mother had to be very creative. His mother hid him and then placed him in a basket where he would flow downstream to where he knew that other women would be bathing. Where she knew, pardon me, that other women would be bathing. And when she did this, Moses' sister went along the shore and was watching to make sure that he did indeed make it through and that someone drew him out of the water. 
It was the Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him. And then in time, um, Moses also set out on a long and challenging journey, and he wasn't exactly eager about it. As an adult, he ended up siding with his people who were the oppressed, his birth people, if you will. And he led people out of bondage in Egypt toward the promised land. He never made it to the promised land, but he led them toward it, changing people, places, and things, and going someplace else at God's beckoning and urging and leading. Now, I know some of you have felt uh, that this past year has been a long and challenging journey, and it has for different reasons for different people. And there is light at the end of the tunnel. It's getting brighter and brighter with each vaccine. And this is a good time to remember and to look back and document that we are more resourceful than we might know. Look at what you've gone through. I always think of it as a a trip to the dentist. You know, if someone told you when you were a small child that you were going to go to this place and you're going to sit in this chair and a light is going to shine in your eyes and they're going to open your mouth and they're going to find a cavity and they're going to take a drill and they're going to drill a hole and they're going to put a shot in your gum to numb it and then they're going to fill it with something. Would you go? No, no. Of course you wouldn't go. I know they do it differently now, and I'm really glad. Um, But some of us still have a little bit of PTSD from those early moments, especially before the shot came in. So if we had told you what was going to take place this past year, I mean, who wouldn't have just run into their bed, put their head under their pillow, and pulled the covers over and said, wake me in a year. I'm going to play bear and hibernate. But we are more resourceful than we might know, and we are way more resilient than we might know. And we are able to endure and make something good out of a sustained sacrifice period, because we all had to make sacrifices this past year, and we still are wearing masks, keeping physical distance. So what did you learn about yourself? As we're looking at this light and getting more and more excited, what have you learned about yourself? What have you learned about what matters? What have you learned about what's possible with cooperation and shared commitments? We've seen dramatic changes here in Colorado with increased mask wearing, with people having to deal with heart, with restaurant and business owners, having to deal with cutting back the number of clients and um, customers. And people have pulled money around this to try and ease the burden, sort of a sharing of the wealth for those whose income has not been affected. David Brooks also said in that talk, he said, divide your life into chapters. Sort of, you know, like maybe... 
little chunks rather than one long run-on sentence or one long paragraph. And I wonder if it's time to bring a chapter to a close. I wonder also if it might be time to begin a new chapter. It's a different way of expressing the same thing. Time to articulate what you believe, what you've given your heart to, and possibly to recalculate. Here's a simple way to do this and something that you might uh, play with over the next week. Begin with this question, what do you think you have given your heart to? Or you might ask yourself, what would you like to give your heart to? Or you could do both. And what are the teachings of Moses and the prophets, the teachings of Jesus that you want to guide your life? In other words, who are your exemplars? I hope they don't come from primetime news desks. Last summer when we did a series on peacemakers, those were exemplars that we were lifting up to you to remind you of what's possible, of how much of a difference a single life can make. So once you've had those questions, what do you think you've given your life to or what would you like to give your life to and who are your exemplars? Then calculate the allocation of time and talent and treasure in your week-to-week or month-to-month living. So go through your calendar, go through your checkbook, go through your electronic statement, and see if they sync up. Reflect on what you have given your heart to. Reflect on and evaluate your commitments. The commitment to perhaps a relationship with a spouse or a community or a church community or a board of directors that you sit on or a neighbor that you've been caring for. Where are you headed? Where is your current data showing that you're going? Are you headed to a place with the friends of God to be with Abraham or someplace else? Again, the story says there's a great chasm that separates the two, and I love that image. I mean, it's such a great Colorado image, right? This big chasm between two mountains. Or in uh, Canyonlands. My gosh, the image of chasm is like powerful. And you can't even see, when you, when you hike in Canyonlands, you can't even see the way down. You know, usually you can get a glimpse of the trail. You can't see it. But you get down there. And then when you're down there, you can't see how you're going to get back up, but you just follow the trail one step at a time. But here's where the lessons of life teach us that the chasm can be crossed.
It's really not you're destined to one place or to another. You really can cross the divide. Zacchaeus did it, didn't he? You know, he ran, he climbed, he came down, he welcomed Jesus, and then he said, that's it, I'm going to do it different now. And he just made the decision, and he did it. Sometimes it really can be that simple. I'm not sure if he was married and what his spouse had to say about that, and if his kids who were planning to inherit something might have had something to say about it. I mean, those are contemporary things that come to my mind, and that might be some interesting conversation around your table, but let's go into interesting conversations. And I hope you hear this as an opportunity to check in with your heart and to articulate what matters to you now. Not what used to matter, not what you anticipate might matter, but now. See how this lines up with the teachings of faith that you think are important. And remember, I know I use the word think, it can't stop here. It has to come from here. And in so doing, allow yourself and your family and this church community the space to recalculate or recommit or commit in a new way time, talent, and treasure to serve what matters most.